0: I'm slightly nervous of doing this after my geographical gaffe, but I'm told this is H2O, water. I'm moving off geography onto... Is that chemistry? Yes. Um, Water, you can drink water. Demonstration. You can also... What water is so uh, malleable that you can even drop a pin and it will descend straight to the bottom of the glass. Some of you would have seen that if you're in the front row. That's the... uh, added bonus of sitting in the front row Um, it can take a pin I must remember not to drink that later well that will hurt but also water can freeze and when it freezes it is so strong that it can take an articulated lorry it's the same chemical formula it's the same stuff but under different circumstances it behaves very different and I think Your heart and my heart is just like that. And and I think we'll see in this passage that the people questioning the Lord Jesus, well, their heart is just like that as well, frozen. You see, some of the people that you talk to and you seek to share the Lord Jesus with will have frozen hearts. And at times, maybe you have had two but some will have soft hearts. We're going to see in three episodes in Mark where the heart of the people Jesus is speaking to is rock hard, like ice. But these episodes are recorded for you and recorded for me as a warning. They're there to make us question. In 2017, they're they're there to make us question, what is my heart like? Is it hard like that? You see, as we seek to take the good news about Jesus out to our friends, family, and neighbors, we're going to meet those with hard hearts and those with soft hearts. And I want us to look at how the Lord Jesus deals with the hard-hearted. Look at the way he warns. Look at the grace with which he does that. And look at the audience Jesus has. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. These are the very people Jesus said would reject him. Flick back to chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And this was then repeated in chapter 9, verse 31, and chapter 10, verses 33 to 34. So the people that Jesus is speaking to we've already seen. But look at the place very carefully. Jesus was walking in the temple courts verse 27. These scenes take place in the very center of Jewish worship, the temple courts. The temple was built by Solomon. It was reduced to rubble by Nebuchadnezzar and then rebuilt by Herod. The temple acted like a spiritual thermometer for the nation. It was destroyed as judgment on Israel for them going into false. Uh, for them going after false gods. And now Jesus stands in the temple courts. And what will he find? Well, last week we saw in chapter 11 that as he rode in as a king on a donkey, he went straight to the temple courts to take their temperature. He went back the next day. He drove out those buying and selling, saying, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus cursed a fig tree before going to the temple, and the disciples, after Jesus went to the temple, saw that it was withered, a visual illustration of judgment on the temple. As we pick it up in Mark eleven twenty-seven, Jesus returns to Jerusalem, and he walks in the temple courts. But what will he find? Well, I've got three questions for them and for you, uh, for the three sections. Firstly, who are you? Secondly, who is the son? And thirdly, whose are you? It won't surprise you that I had to check the correct grammar on that one. Who are you? Verse 28. Jesus says this, by what? Sorry, the teachers of the law came and said this, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? By these things, they mean the events in the temple, declaring judgment on the spiritual temperature of the nation. So the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law form a committee, and they go and ask who he thinks he is asking these questions. And proclaiming this judgment. This committee though has had loads of evidence of who he is. The demons have declared, you are the holy one of God. He's performed very public ministry under the gaze of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Where he's healed the sick. Where he's fed the hungry. Where he's taught with authority that no one else has. And he's even right in front of their very eyes forgiven people's sin but that wasn't their real question you see Jesus could easily answer that question he desires to reveal more of their heart he will explain who he is in the next section but before going there he wants to bring them to the point where they start to see that the issue is not the authority Jesus lives under but actually the authority they live under. The question they ask him is, Who are you? And he asks exactly the same question back. Look at verse 30. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or was it from human origin? You see, if they say from heaven, then they should have followed him and therefore follow Jesus now. If they say from man... Well, then they run against popular opinion. They had the intellect to see the political sensitivity of the moment, but not the will to follow the Son of God who stood in front of them. They're trapped. Should they bend their will and follow Jesus, recognizing his authority comes from God, or do they stubbornly reject him? The tragedy of the situation is that they can't see the iciness of their own heart. They live by their own authority and will not accept Jesus' authority. Even though he's clearly been on display in public ministry, they are ice cold, frozen over, impenetrable, but they don't see it. And that's often our problem, isn't it? You see, you don't see your own hard-heartedness, do you? Think through your life where you've been rebelling against the Lord Jesus. I doubt you've come to your own conclusion. You see, normally the Lord needs to use a friend or needs to use his word or need to use a situation that you see in someone else's life to cause you to see your own hard-heartedness. We find it almost impossible to see our own. And this is where the parable that Jesus tells next is so helpful. Because parables act like word mirrors, showing us what we're really like. The elders, the chief priests, reject Jesus now. But you see, Jesus has the compassion to tell them the consequence of rejecting the Son. Second question, who is the Son? As Jesus spoke these words, everyone understood them, whether they liked them or not, because the vineyard was a national symbol for Israel. In fact, the temple in which Jesus was standing apparently had a richly carved grapevine sculpted around it, which led from the door, which led from the porch to, to the door of the holy place. And they think that the branches and tendrils and leaves were of the finest gold. And in fact, they also think that, that now and again people will add to the vine to increase the, the size and the, the scene of this image You see, everyone knew the vine was Israel. This was a story designed to melt the icy heart of the people for whom so much had been given. But it also acted as a final warning. And we must hear those two together. You see, we must see the kindness of God and the severity of God in this parable at the same time. But first of all, let's look at the kindness of God. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press. He built a watchtower. There's nothing unusual in the landowner then going away. It was common at the time to set up a vineyard like this, rent the land out, and come to an arrangement in rent as part of... uh, the produce of the land, which would be collected regularly. The time has come to collect what is right for the landowner, and verses 3 to 6 show that repeated requests are due. And repeatedly, they're rejected. Each time, the harshness of the treatment seems to be getting worse and worse. Some they beat, others they killed. So what does the vineyard owner do? Well, verse 6 describes it movingly. Now remember, Jesus is saying these words, standing there in the temple, probably with the vine on the wall. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. Now, the tenants, they see this as an opportunity. You see, in normal circumstances, the son would only come to claim the inheritance. That they would only send the son when the father had died. They see the son and they think, great, the father must be dead. If the son has come to claim the inheritance, if we kill him, we can keep the vineyard. That's what they do. And in fact, verse 8 describes it very chillingly. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus was describing the patience of God. God is the landowner in this story. The tenants of the Israelite nation. The messengers are a picture of the prophets who were sent again and again to warn the nation. And of course, Jesus is the son. But how are you and I to respond in 2017? Ephesians 2 verse 3 says this, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is what we were. It's not just a description of Israel's heart. It's our natural heart as well. God was not just kind to Israel. He has been kind to you and I as well. God didn't just send Jesus to them. He sent him to us. So Jesus stands in the temple telling this story, giving them one more chance to repent. And you and I have one more chance to repent tonight as well. C.H. Spurgeon said this, if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. In the story, there is no repentance. In the story, there is no repentance. So we need to look at the severity of God. Verse 9. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. We are all in danger of loving the gifts of God, but not loving God. The tenants are living as owners. They make their play to be the owners. They're not the owners. And reality catches up with them. God is kind, but he's God. There is a limit to his kindness. There is a limit to anyone's rebellion against him. You see, the story works because everyone knows the landlord is not dead. Everyone expects there to be justice. And for that we need a judgment. How foolish the tenants are. How much more foolish we are when we live in rebellion to the God who made us. The kindness of God is not opposed to the severity of God. God is so kind that we should tremble when we consider his son. And how we treat him. So look at the sun. Please look at the sun. Verse 10. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. When Solomon's temple was constructed. Apparently one of the stones was cut to form part of the temple sanctuary but it was rejected and yet it was found to fit perfectly to form a key part of the arch of the entrance to the temple and apparently jesus took this image and he picked up what was mentioned in psalm 118 and he makes it about himself because of course he is the stone he's about to be rejected But he knows this was part of God's plan all along. That his rejection would lead to his exaltation. That his rejection would be the very means by which you and I could know forgiveness. It would be the very mechanism of which our cold, hard hearts can be melted. But what's he really saying? Well, he is the son in the story. So be warned. Please hear that warning. He is the son in the story and see what's about to happen to him. Now, you and I, living in 2017, we know what happened to him. In a few pages' time, Jesus will be arrested. He'll be wrongly accused. He'll be sentenced to death of crucifixion. He'll rise to life again. He'll be exalted at the right hand of the Father. The stone the builders rejected. Has been exalted to the highest place. This was always God's plan. To pay the price for your sin and for my sin. So that we can be forgiven. But do you see its implications? The kindness of God is astounding. Breathtaking. That he would send his son to pay for you. To pay for me. But the severity of God, it's terrifying. If we will not acknowledge his son, there is no hope. The son of God is beautiful. He stands in the temple with the vine, with the capstone, in the presence of those who will take his life in a few days. And he gives them another chance. And he asks you through this story, where do you stand with him? Do you reject him or do you love him? A friend of mine rather liked wearing expensive shirts to work. He didn't much like doing his own ironing though. So he used to wash the shirts, bag them up and deliver them to an ironing service. And one day he bagged up 10 or so, maybe 12 Ralph Lauren polo shirts in a bin bag. Big mistake. He left them down in the hallway to take to work the next day and dropped them at the ironing person. His housemate came down in the morning thinking that he was being helpful taking out the rubbish and binned what was probably 500 pounds worth of shirts. What my friend didn't realize is that the bin man was coming down the road at that very minute. And away went 500 pounds worth of Ralph Lauren shirts. Now he laughs about it now. But you see the housemate didn't know what he was rejecting. We can't have that excuse when we read this parable. We've got to know who we're rejecting. We see the son. He's rejected. He's exalted. Don't reject him. And Jesus asks... One more question of us. Whose are you? Look at the last section. You see, still the religious authorities want to reject him. Verse 13 has the Pharisees and the Herodians. They set aside their differences to unite against Jesus. This time, they really think they've got him. They ask a political bomb of a question to trap Jesus. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Ha! If he says yes, he sides with the authorities against the people. His people, the Jews. If he says no, he sides with the political... Sorry, I've got this completely wrong. If he says yes, he sides with the authorities against his people, the Jews. If he says no, he sides with his people... But he's against the authorities and he's liable to be arrested and executed as a troublemaker. Jesus warns them again, look at his kindness, look at his wisdom, look what he says. He says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription?" Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is God's. You see, the coins at this time belonged to the very people whose images were on them. Currency was in effect on loan to the person that had it in their pocket. On loan from Caesar. You used it until Caesar wanted it back. This latest group came to reject Jesus. But you see, there's a reversal. Jesus turns a question back on them. Whose image is this? The very one who spoke these words is the image of God. Whose image are you? You see, you're made in the image of God as well. And this parable leaves us with one final question. And it's a question from the Son of God. Whose image are you? Will you give to God what is God's? Will you reject him? Like the elders, like the chief priests, like the teachers, like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees, like the Herodians. Or will you accept him? Will you reverse? Will you repent? Will you give to God what is his? How do you do that? How does that happen? Well, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes you see this reversal happens when we recognize that our natural tendency is to have icy cold hearts who reject him when we see that we too have mistreated his son that we are like those wicked tenants who've killed his son if we had the chance Yet the love, the brilliant compassion of God is to have a plan all along and that plan is the rejection of his son and his death on the cross as the way that you and I can be forgiven. The worst of times would be the means of the exaltation of the king. We either look at these accounts and we say, such is my heart. What a king. Or we say, I don't like that. And I don't need a king. And you live that response. You live it in the way that your feet walk. You live it in the way that your mouth talks. You live it with who you praise and who you want to share. And so do I. So rejection or reversal. What, what is it to be? You'll live that and so will I. So let's pray. Father, we recognise that that story describes our heart. Those encounters describe our heart. We long to put you in a box, keep you quiet, give you part of us but not everything. And yet we are made in your image. Please, Father, especially in this fortnight of prayer, Make us men and women who recognize our sin, our dependence on you, but please reverse the natural tendency of our hearts. Would you make them beat? Would you make them delight in the mercy and wonder of this king who would die to be exalted to take us home as his prize? Please would that capture all of our heart? Please have mercy on us, we pray.